Shalom Aleichem, everybody. We uh, are coming to the end of volume 11, the last year, and we have progressed from the beginning of the laws of Hilchot Shacharit and gone through Kriyachma and Kriyata Torah. Uh, sorry, not Kriyata Torah. We'll do that in next, uh, the next uh, uh, series. Um, but we completed the Amida Birkat Kohanim, and now we're coming to the tail end of Tefillah. And the tail end of Tefillah, first and foremost, is what we're going to be discussing in today's year, is the laws of Tachanun and Nefilat Apaim. And we'll see that they're not necessarily the same thing, Tachanun and Nefilat Apaim. Um, and we're going, today's year, we're going to be focusing on three things. Number one, when do I say Tachanun? How do I say Tachanun? Who should be saying Tachanun? Um, and that is what today's year is going to be about. So let's begin. Where does this concept of Tachanun uh, come from? And where do we see it in, in the Torah or in Chazal? So we found that first and foremost from last week's parasha, depending on where you are in the world, um, where in the story of Korach, it says, Because Baruch tells Moshe Rabbeinu and Am Yisrael, um, separate yourselves from these bad people. And then it says, right? And they fell on their faces. Right? And Aaron are, are beseeching HaKadosh Baruch Hu to have mercy. And how did they beseech HaKadosh Baruch Hu to have mercy? The Torah describes them falling on their faces. Now, Rabbeinu Bechaya says as follows, They fell on their faces to Daven. From here we see why or the connection between Davening, which is the Amida, and falling on one's faces, what we're going to call today Tachanu. He says, they're going to be three reasons, ideas behind falling on one's face and beseeching Akash Baruch. And these reasons we'll see as we go through the halachot might apply based on which reason we're going to take, might apply for different halachot. Person is standing in front of a Kodesh Baruch and we know that when, Akash, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu stood in front of Hashem, he covered his face, and this is a sign of, of humility in standing in front of the, the awe of standing in front of a Kodesh Baruch This is the way of humility, it's the way of, of acting in a way of shame, it's focused on having all of Okay. Um, what is the next reason brought down by the Parabenu uh, Here, it is not just because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling humble in front of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, but it's a way of supplication. Right? It shows a, a person is distraught, a person is in a, in, in a, a, a submissive type of uh, um, feeling of emotion. 
And this leads a person to do tshuva. And therefore his tefillah is mekubal. So it's not just, if the first reason is focusing on, I'm standing in front of a Baruch and therefore I have to have humility and shame, etc. Here the focus is, what is my emotional state? Am I feeling haughty or am I feeling uh, despondent or am I feeling that I, I need to be in a distressed and submissive state? And the third one, la'arot asirat chushab ubitul hargeshotav. And the third reason, he says, is to say that, you know, it's got nothing to do with me. I'm totally, uh, I, I'm totally submitting my will to do the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Let's just uh, look at the last three lines. We saw this before. Rabbi Machaya said the reason why a person stands with his feet together, it's as if his feet are tired and, and the, his, his uh, goals are not dependent on him. They depend on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm here because I'm... It's not, it's not my free will. It's like I've been tied down. So those are three separate uh, reasons why we do nefilat apayim. Again, the first is realizing that a person is, is standing in front of Tavakosh Baruch Hu. We just did the Amida. One should have some humility and Yerachamayim when doing that. The second is to show a certain level of distress. This brings a person to do tshuva. And the third is a, a, a sentiment that, you know, the, I, I want to do Ratzon Hashem, total submission to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, based on these three reasons, uh, it seems that all of them seem to connect with the Amida. And why is this so important? Because as we'll see, it could be that the Amida and Tachanun are, are one, one unit. And this has halachic ramifications. For example, for example, one shouldn't have a hefsek between the Amida and the Tachanun. So if we have to do Kaddish at the end of the Amida, maybe we're going to do the Kaddish at the end of the Tachanun, for example. Uh, another example could be that the power of Tachanun is only as powerful when it is connected to one's Amida. Um, let's let's uh, see this on in the um, sorry I'm, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm going to I suggest those who have the book to read the footnote yeah but the Beit Yosef brings the proof why these two have to be connected where do we see Nefilat Apaim in the Gemara and there's a famous story when Rabban Gamliel put his brother-in-law into uh, into Khairam, he put him in, he excommunicated him uh, because he wasn't listening to the Sanhedrin and all the stories over there. And Rabban Gamliel's sister, who was Rabbiezer's wife, was made sure that when Rabbiezer davened, he didn't do nefilat afarim straight after his tefillah. And every day she made sure to disturb him in one way or another. And one day she didn't manage. And that day he did nefilat afarim, that day that he did nefilat afarim, Rabban Gamliel passed away. So you see the koach of Nefilat pain. But the Ritva asked a very good question. Okay, so she might have stopped him from doing Nefilat pain one minute after, after Shmuel Israel, but he had the whole day to do Nefilat pain. What did she do? She kept him busy the whole day? 
explains the Ritva and was brought down by the Beit Yosef, that you see the power of Nefilat Apayim, on falling on one's face, on reciting the Tachanun, is when it is connected to the Amida. So in order for her to break him doing Nefilat Apayim, she didn't have to stop him from doing Nefilat Apayim the entire day. She just had to stop him from juxtaposing his prayer of the Amida from his Tachanun in order that it wouldn't be so powerful. And one day she wasn't able to, and Rabban Gamliel passed away. Um, on that day. So we see that there is a deep connection to this, and that's also brought down uh, by the Shulchan Aruch, that one shouldn't speak in between them, etc. Okay, let's go on to the more, uh, slightly more detailed. How does one do Nefilat Apayim and Tachanun? I, I keep on interchanging between Tachanun and Nefilat Apayim, but the truth is that they could be two separate things. Tachanun just means reciting supplications. Nefilata Paim literally is falling on one's face. Theoretically, one could recite Tachanunim supplications without doing a physical uh, action with one's body. However, they generally came together, meaning how does a person do supplication? By falling on one's face. And therefore, generally, it's, it's, it's synonymous, Tachanun and Nefilata Paim, but as we'll see in later generations, although theoretically they were meant to come together, uh, for certain reasons, they were separated, meaning we still do the supplications, but the physical act of falling on one's face, we don't do, or we do in a very, very limited way, depending on Minak Shvarim Ashkenazim, as we'll discuss, um, and, but, but nevertheless, it's still called Nefilata Paim, is uh, synonymous with even though they're really two separate uh, things. So let's move on to the actual action of Nefilat Apayim when doing the supplication. Where do we see this from? The Gemara says in Mutecha Brachot Lamedalet Amudbet, Tanu Rabbanan, Kida Alapayim. The word Kida is some type of bowing. That, what does that mean? That was when one bowed on one's face. And Kriya Albirkayim. When one kriya is referring to when one's kneeling on the, the, one's knees, that's when one completely lies on the ground and spreads one's hands and feet out. Can you hear me? All still good? Okay. What would have been in the back? Okay, let me try. And... Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Havo navo ani vimcha vachecha lishtachavot lecha arza. So the Gemara over there tells us that there are three types of kind of prostrations that one does. One is the most complete one is lying completely on the ground, spreading one's hands and one's feet out. The other is bowing with one's face, and the other is on one's knees. Now the Rambam says as follows, When we do do this, um, after dabbing, some do it by this description called kida, and some do it by spreading one's face on the floor and one's limbs uh, on the floor. 
ואסור לעשות השתחוויה על האבנים אלא במקדש. But the Rambam tells us that there is a prohibition of, um, there is a prohibition of doing this, spreading one's uh, hands and feet out on the floor, on a stone floor, unless you are in the Beit HaMikdash. Let, we'll, we'll see the source later on as we, we go on. Um, but this Isur is going to be very, very, very critical as we go through the Shir, because many of us, we don't do it during the year, but on Yom Kippur, we do do it. And for those of you who have the Sefer, I uh, suggest there's an excellent essay by uh, Otniel at the end of the Shir, which goes into this uh, topic in more detail, but we will come through it. So let's let's jump into the Gemara in Masechet Megillah Chafbet. The Gemara in Masechet Megillah Chafbet says, V'rav lo nafal al anpeg. So I just want to take a step back. If we see that in general, after doing the Amida, we meant to fall on our faces. And generally falling on our faces is either completely lying on the ground and spreading of the limbs, or at least, uh, or at least a basic um, prostration of the knees. We don't do that anymore. Why don't we do that? And it's based on this Gemara. The Gemara in Megillah says as follows. Rav, who was visiting the town, he did not fall on his face after the end of the Amida. My time, Rav, lo nafal al Why is it that Rav, it seems like the rest of the community did fall on their faces, but Rav, who was uh, an early Amora, uh, didn't. So answers the Gemara, it was a stone floor in front of him. The Tanya, we've learned in a brighter, the Evan Maskit Lotit Nubarzachem Lishtachavotalea, you are not allowed to put a figurine kind of uh, stone floor in your land. Alea Yata Mishtachave. On that means you are not allowed to bow down on that floor. Avalatamishtachave, Avanim, Shabeta Mikdash. The brighter says you're not allowed to bow down over there. However, you are allowed to bow down in the Beit Hamikdash. Meaning, when the Torah says you're not allowed to bow down in your land, was coming to exclude the Beit Hamikdash. But we see from here that the prohibition is only regarding uh, a stone floor. And I'm not going to go into this uh, prohibition completely, but the prohibition, even though the Pasuk says this prohibition is in Chutzlaret as well, meaning is coming to exclude the Beit HaMikdash. It's not coming to exclude Chutzlaret. So there's a, a, a general prohibition of bowing down, prostration on a stone floor other than in the Beit HaMikdash. There's different reasons given by the Rishonim why we have such a prohibition. For example, uh, Rashi says that the reason why you're not allowed to bow down is because this is a din in Mora Mikdash. Like, for example, we when we make a, a Chanukiah, we don't make seven branches. We make eight. Why don't we make seven, uh, seven branch candelabra? Because that's something that you only do in the Beit HaMikdash. We don't have a seven branch candelabra. That's part of Mora HaMikdash, reverence of the Beit HaMikdash. So when we bow down on the stone floor in the Beit HaMikdash, anywhere else is Asur. The Rambam has a completely different understanding. He says this was part of a Vodazora. 
So in a bodhisattva, because this is how the idolaters used to serve their idolatry, that's why the Torah forbid it. Uh, but in the Beit HaMikdash, uh, it is permitted. Um, okay, that's two general approaches to the prohibition. Nevertheless, we see that there is a prohibition of bowing down on a stone floor. Now we can understand why Rav didn't bow down. Now that the assumption means the assumption is, is that the stone floor was only in front of Rav, as opposed to the rest of the community. Um, we continue the Gemara over there. That Abaya and Rava, they when they bowed down, they leant to the side, apparently to get rid of this problem. I apparently to get rid of this problem of bowing down on prostrating oneself on the stone floor. Now, the way we have said the, the sources have been set out, it's a bit misleading. And the reason why it's a bit misleading is that the Gemara actually gives three separate answers why Rav did not bow down. The first answer is because there was a stone floor in front of him. Second answer was that Rav only did it, the community only prostrated themselves by bowing down partially, and Rav used to bow down completely with Pishut with spreading his limbs. And that is a problem on a stone floor, but problem, according to the second answer of the Gemara. The third answer of the Gemara is that Rav was an important person. And as we'll see, an important person should not bow down or prostrate oneself because unless he is certain that he's going to be answered like Yoshua Benun, otherwise it's like causing almost like a chilul Hashem that, you know, he was, uh, this important person wasn't answered. Now, after those three answers, the Gemara tells us that Abayah Barova, they leant on their side. Now, it's not completely clear which of those three answers was accepted in halacha and which of those, based on those three answers, which problem are Abaya and Rabba coming to solve by leaning on their sides? So to summarize, according to the first answer of the Gemara, there is a prohibition of bowing down on, um, on a, a stone floor with your lands and feet. But there's still a provision, even partial bowing down. According to the second answer of the Gemara, there is no rabbinic provision of partial prostration. And that's the distinction. Rav, who used to do complete prostration, couldn't, but the rest of the community only did partial uh, prostration, there's no rabbinic prohibition, and that's why they did it. The third answer is that Rav was an important person. So which is the problem, and which one is accepted in halakha, and which problem did Abai and Rav, by leaning on their side, come to resolve? So just keep that all in mind, and we're going to go through the shear and try and fit in all the sources based on those three answers. Rashi says, they used to lean on their side. They didn't fall on their faces completely. Tosfot says, 
what do we do in our shuls where there's a, a stone floor? How can the shaliach tzibur fall on his face? Venireli, the metzale atzluye of the shari. That even though it's a stone floor, by leaning on the side, it is permitted. And we see this from Abayi Barova. Abayi Barova, the problem was frustration on a stone floor, and they got rounded by leaning on their sides. This is the explanation of Rabbi Gaon. And this is paskened by the Ramah. Let's see how the Ramah rules. The Ramah in Orachayim Kufla Medalev says, V'chein asu l'chol adam lipol al panav, v'pishut yadayim v'raglayim, afilu ein sham even maskit. Now, the, the truth is, sorry, the Ramah is not actually quoting Toswat. The Ramah is actually taking this a step further. Toswat only mentioned the prohibition on a stone floor. But the other opinions of the Orzaru and other Rishonim that said that the, the, the rabbinic prohibition extended not only on a stone floor, but on any floor, even if there's a carpet, one would not be allowed to lie on the floor. And here the Mishnah Brura kind of clarifies it and makes Seder for, for, for all of us that are not holding in the sugya, and he puts everything in, in, in clarity. So let's read the Mishnah Brura. Hinei katub the Torah writes, You shall not place the figured stone on your, on your land to bow down upon it. That means, The person's bowing down, not to Avodah he's bowing down to HaKadosh Baruch Nevertheless, this is considered a prohibition, right? And even though it's it's just a stone floor. There's no decorations on the stone floor. It's still considered a figured uh, a floor. It's considered one thing. Whether it's got figurines or not, a stone floor is prohibited. The katfua poskim. And the poskim rat. You need two conditions in order to violate the Torah violation. The hainu. The first is spreading out, lying on the floor and spreading out one's hands and feet. The gam al and the second condition is it has to be a stone floor. But if you don't do total prostration, let's say you just do on your knees or something like that. Or with your face to the ground, the Hainushin of Fel Alapav, he just falls on one's face, Asur Rak Midivrei Sofrim. This is only rabbinically prohibited. This is going according to the second answer of Toswat that there's a rabbinic, sorry, the first answer of Toswat that there's even a rabbinic prohibition of partial prostration. So says the Mishnah Brura, there is a rabbinic prohibition if you do partial prostration, even though you haven't extended your limbs. Or Alternatively, there 
is a rabbinic prohibition of complete prostration on a carpet, meaning it's not a stone floor, but you're not allowed to lie down and spread your hands and your feet. They decreed that a person shouldn't do partial prostration because you might come to do full prostration. And they decreed not to do anything on a non-stone floor because one might come to do it on a stone floor. Then says the Mishnah If a person had two things in his favor, number one, Derech Kita, meaning he didn't do a complete prostration, just a partial prostration, let's say he gets on his knees. And it's not a stone floor, it's on a carpet. We haven't heard of a rabbinic decree. That is the opinion of the Ramah in the Mishnah Brura. That basically, if you do partial prostration on a non-stone floor, you've not uh, transgressed, not a Torah violation, nor a rabbinic violation. And this opinion is going to be important for us when we get to uh, the laws of Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah further on in the Shi'ur. Let's, um, let's continue. Uh, for a moment, right? That now the Gemara is mentioning the third answer of why Rav didn't prostrate himself after the Amidah. The Amara Blazar, Ein Adam Chashuv Rashaili Polapanav, Elim Kenanek Yeshuvenun. That an important person should not fall on his face. Unless he is certain that he's going to be answered similar to Yeshua Benun, as it says, Vayom Yeshua, come, kum lech, etc. After Yeshua Davin, Hashem immediately answered him. Now, what's interesting is that the riff brings this as the main answer for why Rab didn't prostrate himself. And the Rosh says, Amar Abhiya Barhuna, Chazinanu Labai Barova, the Chinaple Alampayu, the Matli Atluye. We saw already that Abai Barova seemed to get around the whole problem by leaning on their side. And it is intimated from the rift that put all of these answers together, the sphere lay the hide the that which Abai and Rava turned on their side. Is to get round the problem of an important person, not getting round the problem of partial prostration. So, how do we put this all together? And here the Shulchan Aruch might say, Shulchan Aruch says, that an important person is never allowed to basically do full prostration um, at all. Elin Ken Batoshi Anek Right? Meaning that a, an important person is not allowed to so we keep losing you. Partial 
Let's see if this is uh, any better. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay, let's... Lost the last part, unfortunately. Okay, let me summarize the last part. We saw that Rab, for some reason, in the Gemara, didn't do Nefilat He didn't uh, prostrate himself when the rest of the community did. The Gemara gives three different answers. Possibility number one is that there was a stone floor in front of Rab. Possibility number two is that Rav had the Minak to prostrate himself completely, whereas the rest of the community didn't do a complete prostration, only a partial prostration. And therefore, even though it was a stone floor, it seems that the prohibition is only if you do a full prostration, according to that answer in the Gemara. And the third answer brought down in the Gemara is that Rav was an important person, and an important person shouldn't uh, do prostration unless he is certain that he's going to be answered, because it, uh, people will think that he's not worthy, that Hashem didn't answer it. Uh, these three answers, different uh, Rishonim uh, accepted, meaning the Rif seems to accept the third answer, and the, uh, the Ramah quotes the second answer, quotes the, 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 the riff. So it seems that what happened is the poskim were machmir for all the different opinions. That's uh, that's the bottom line. The poskim were machmir for all the, the different opinions. However, to summarize the opinion of the Ramah, says the Mishnabura, that when do we say that there's a problem of prostration? It has to be complete prostration to be a Torah violation on a stone floor. If you have one of those, then it's not a Torah violation, but it's a rabbinic violation, meaning part, partial prostration on a stone floor or complete prostration on a carpet, that would be a rabbinic prohibition. Where would it be permitted? Would be permitted when you don't have any of those uh, two, two conditions, meaning partial prostration on a carpet wouldn't be a problem at all no, not a Torah violation, not a rabbinic uh, violation. So that's everything that we've seen up until now. Now, according to everything that we've seen, it doesn't make sense. If you go into the regular shuls, none of us really seem to do even partial prostration. We don't get down on our knees. We don't, our, our faces don't touch the floor. Uh, what do we do? Usually, if, you, if you're Ashkenazi, you usually do uh, something that uh, is, resembles like this. This is what we do. We put our head on our forearm, uh, and that is our limited nifilata pain. Where did that come from? And by the way, as we'll see, the Sfarim don't even do that. So what happened? Uh, meaning we've seen that there's a problem, and we've seen solutions to the problem. Do it on the side. Do it if it's not a stone floor. You can do partial um, prostration. So what is exactly is going on over here? And here we find a very interesting opinion brought down by the Zohar. The Zohar says as follows. Listen, is going to be killed. It's going to be gathered to the tree of death, literally, uh, when he falls on his face and he says to Hashem, Elech Hashem 
So at the beginning, the Kadmita Yabinalach Bapiduna hashtag the Kashrina Yehuda Babidna Uvda Umilula de Kayeut Vodina Alchaita Anafimasinalach Vadai. At the beginning, when a person went to sleep, right, you say that Hashem gave us a, a soul and he deposited with us, right? And now basically you are coming, you're confessing. But you're you're not you're not saying it with complete uh, kavana, and when you're not saying it with complete kavana, the zohar is basically saying that a person it will cause a person to die. Let's just read the last uh, uh, line that's highlighted. Vaile leman daati lemitte lemare belibe dechika velo biruta. Woe to the one who's trying to play tricks on a kodesh baruch and he's coming to daven, but his heart isn't in, in it, meaning he's davening without kavana. The Zohar is telling us that it is dangerous to do nafilat apayim when you don't have full intention. Because of this Zohar, the Yalkut Yosef says, That's the girsah, that's the nusach of, of tachanum that the Svarim have. They don't do any type of physical action. Because of this Zohar, right? a person who does fall on his face without the right intention, he might die early. Basically, we don't want people to be dying early because they daven without kavona. So based on this, the Svarim said, we're going to have the tachanun, we're going to have the supplications without the nefilat without falling on the face. Ashkenazim, what do we do? We also are concerned about the Zohar. There's the mission of Rura. So, so the Mishnah Bura says, you're right, we don't, we're worried about the Zohar, so we're not going to do even partial prostration. What are we going to do? We're going to cover our faces literally while sitting down, uh, put it on our forearm. And we, but we still have to cover our faces. How do we cover our faces? The Minag is to cover the face with one's uh, clothing. The Lord died kisui hayad It's not good enough. Let's say I'm, I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt. So it wouldn't be good enough to do that. Why not? Because the hand and the face are considered one body. So one body, one part of the body is not covering the other. Then the body cannot cover itself. This is why a person who doesn't have a kippah can't put his hand on his head to say a bracha. But someone else, theoretically, your child walks past and doesn't have a kippah, you, if you put your hand on, on, on him, since you are a separate body, you could, he could say uh, a bracha. That happens, uh, um, little children waking up in the middle of the night, they want to do things, whatever, want to have a sip of water, you can put your, your hand on their head and uh, that can solve the problem. Okay, now it says, the peace gate kuvot based on everything that we've seen. The Seidan of Filata Paimapia Kabbalah Vakta Varish at Yebe Yeshiva. 
that according to the, uh, the, the Arizal, one should be seated and you should place it uh, close to the elbow, not close to one's uh, palm of one's hand. Now, um, okay, we are we are we're running out of time, so I'm, I'm going to go a bit faster on this on these cases. The Mordechai brings down that we know in Yom Kippur we do prostrate ourselves, and he says he sees the reason brought down that they covered the floor was in order not to get round to get around this problem of prostration on a stone floor. And the Ramah says this, When a person on Yom Kippur, when we do prostrate ourselves, especially in Eretz Yisrael, there are stone floors, or the keramikas could, could be considered stone floor. So there could be theoretically an Isidoraita of prostrating oneself completely on the floor. So one has to ensure that one has some type of separation. And we don't do full prostration. We just lie on the ground, but we don't do full prostration. Um, and this is the minag that we do. The Piskei uh, Kovot said, I'll just read it outside, that the, the most important thing is uh, that one shouldn't just, one has to use something other than one's clothing. So one can't use one's clothing when one's lying on the floor. So if you don't have a towel or something like that, take you can take your talit off and use that as a separation, but it can't be your actual uh, clothes. Okay, and the main thing also says the Piskei is that one's face, not one's knees, but one's face doesn't touch the stone uh, floor. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just uh, skip to the next part, going back to Tachanun. Do we have to sit? Do we don't? Can we stand? This often happens when you're at a, at a makeshift minion and there aren't cha chairs around. What do you do? Says That according to the Chachmeh Kabbalah, one has to sit. And this is how the Shulchan Aruch Paskins in Arachayim Fuflamad Aleph, Nefilat Apayim Miyushab, Ma'umad. That it has to be, he has to be seated and not standing. However, Mishnah Brewer writes as follows: The Rivash, one of the Rishonim, or the late Rishonim, says, "Nishkafelach, you don't have to sit; you can stand." However, meaning that in a time of need, one can rely on the opinion of the Rivash. You should try and find a place to sit down to say tachnu. There's no chairs available. You're going to have to walk across the whole um, shul to get to a chair. The, in that case, says Mishabura, one is allowed to um, one is allowed to rely on the rivash and do it standing. An important point over here is that we saw before that we don't want to have a separation between the end of the amida and saying tachnu. Meaning if after Chazarat Hashatz, I now have to cross the entire shul to go find the chair to say Tachanun, in that case, says the Mishnah Brewer, it's preferable to rely on the Rivash because we don't want a long separation between the end of the Amida and uh, the Nefilat Apayim and the Tachanun. Okay, now this is a famous uh, Machloket. Which hand does one uh, fall on? 
And the Beit Yosef basically brings down a machlok brishonim. I'm not going to read it in touch. It's time. So let's just read the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch paskins, shenofel al panav nagu latot al tzad small. Shulchan Aruch, the psak for the Svarim, is you always lean on your left hand. When you lean on your left hand, whether it is shachrit or whether it is mincha. Now, for most of us who are right-handed, we put our tefillin on, on our left hand. Says the Shulchan Aruch, that's not a problem. You will do tachanun on your left hand, whether you have tefillin or not. However, the Ramah says, V'yesh omrim, v'yesh the Ramah quotes the other opinion of the Shibolea Leket, that maybe you should do it on the right hand side. Vaikar then says Rama, Lahatot Bashakri Kishesh lots filin besmolo. Says Rama, here's a compromise. During Shachrit, when most of us have our filin on our left hand, so do tachnon on your right hand. And during Mincha, Sheinot filin bismolo, yate al smolo. That's when you do it on your left hand. Right? And after you you fell on your face, literally meaning over here, just means putting your hand in your forearm. After that, you, you sit up and uh, and you continue the the tachanon uh, sitting down. Okay. Um, so that's just a, a bottom line of machloket between the Shulchan Aruch and the Sfarim and the Raman Ashkenazim. For Ashkenazim, we always do it, uh, we should do it on the left hand, on the left hand. However, uh, for the cover of tefillin, if you're wearing tefillin on your left hand, there are uh, in shachrit, then you would do it on your, uh, on your right hand. Okay, I want to get to a uh, very important practical lacha is when do we not say tachanun? And this is a very, very uh, debate. Uh, whenever you go to any minion, should be saying Tachnun, should we not be saying Tachnun? So let's just try and get, uh, get to that. Um, I'm going to skip this next part, which is just basically the different texts of the, of the Tachnun. Those who have the paper, I'm on page 334. The Beit Yosef explains. On the day of the wedding, we don't recite Tachanun when the Chatan is there. And we don't do the confession, which um, have the Nusach Svarid has the, also part of the Tachanun is the Vidui and the Yud Gimel Midot Sharachmi. On the day of the Brit Milah, Shesham Hamila. We don't in that shul where the where the mila took place. We don't we don't do tachlun. Ve'eshomrim shein monin milipaf neim beknesed shesham hamila bimushein yochamish yomrim biduim mashein kein bechupa. And some say you do, and he brings the different opinions. Let's see what the shulchan aruch says about it. Nahagu sheloli paf neim lo bebeit ha'avel. First, you don't do tachlun in the house of the mourner. And not in the house of a groom. So four exceptions to the rule. And we have to figure out what is the common denominator between these four cases. Number one, in the house of a mourner. Number two, in the shul or the house where the chatan is. 
it seems to be the day of the Chatan or the house of the Chatan or the, where the, the, the shul where they do a brit milah or where the Chatan is present. Now, if you remember at the beginning of the shir, we gave different reasons for why we do Nefilat Apayim. One of them is showing our distress and our supplications. So in the time of Simcha, you don't want to hearten this reason of, of stress and supplications. The other is where there's Midat Adin in the house of Avelut. You don't want to, we, we see that this Nefilat Apayim has a very powerful, um, has a very powerful uh, weight to it. To the point where when Rabbi Yezid did the filat apayim, Rabbi Gamliel passed away. So in a house of mourning where there's midat adin, we want to stay away from the filat apayims. Too powerful. And it might be used in the wrong way against us. So, uh, so because of that, both in times of simcha and in times of distress, such as in a, a house of mourning, we don't say, uh, we don't say tachan. Now the Mishnah Brura clarifies, what does it mean the chatan? Since the mitzvah is on the chatan, it connects to all the people. So that's why we don't say. Now the Ramah says, The day of the milah, we don't say tachanun. That's specifically shachrit. Because that's when they're going to do the brit milah. Even though the baby's still there, then we do say. But when it comes to chatan, there we don't say it the entire day when we daven and the chatan is with us. But then says Ramah, it's referring to the day of the chupa. However, it says the Mishnah Burak. Hold on a second. When the da'at rashal ubach v'tas, the enomrim k'shemit palim etzel atinok. They hold that if the tinok is there, even for mincha we don't say tachanun. The el yarabe yichria, and this is the psak of the mishabura. The emit palalin mincha bebait hatinok kodem hasuda or beemsa suda enomrim tachanun. I've had this actually many times that people have a bris, they do the brit milah, they then have a sudat mitzvah, and then they daven mincha. Says the Mishnah Bura, when exactly are they going to daven mincha? If it's after Birkat Amazon, you should say tachanun. However, if mincha is before the suuda or during the sudat mitzvah, you haven't finished Birkat Amazon, you don't say tachanun. And that is the psak of the Mishnah So yes, I'm again, Abraham holds that the entire day you don't say Tachanun. That is not the psak of the Mishnah The psak of the Mishnah is Mincha. You do say Tachanun if you have been, if you have completed the Sudat Mitzvah. If you haven't completed the Sudat Mitzvah, then you don't say uh, now, 
that even before the suda will be a problem. So it depends. If you're at a hall, at a brit milah, and the mother's there, and the child's there, and the baby's still there, then you don't say tachanut. But if you, do, if, if you haven't, even though you haven't finished the meal, but the baby's not around, according to the Mishnah you would. But the actual moil and the sandek, they never say even after Okay. Now, the next thing was the Ramah said, who's considered a, 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 a chatan the day of his wedding? Says the Mishnah That basically, all the seven days of Sheva Brachot, you don't, he's still considered a Chatan, and we don't say Tachanun. And then there's actually, according to the Mishnah Brura, he suggests that, uh, that a Chatan shouldn't come to Shul. So, in order that the community should be able to say Tachanun. But that is not our Minag. Our Minag is that we, we do, uh, we want the Chatan to daven in Minyan, uh, and the community are very generally very, very happy that they don't have to say uh, Tachanun. Okay, now comes the question, what about other things? For example, a bar mitzvah. Do you say, do you say, uh, do we not say tachanon on a bar mitzvah? And this was actually asked already to the first chief rabbi of Israel, uh, Rav Uziel. And he wrote to Tshuva on this. Nishalti, now I'm quoting the Yabi Omer. Nishalti odot mashenoagim shelolomar tachanon utfilat lafayim shiesh bar mitzvah beta knesset. Where does this mina come from? That there's a bar mitzvah in shul. We don't say tach. Says the Yabia Omer. Raiti lemarshal b'sevi yamshel. Shomer shekatav di lichoras suudah shel tzim la'bar mitzvah. Ein chasuudat mitzvah gdolam izot. The meal that they have for bar mitzvah, there's nothing greater than that. And therefore, midivre azor akadosh talmid chachamu yomer delezachel etleis ashanim akri. Ikri ben Nakonishbarhu, that a Tamil Chokham, a kid who's learned Torah, when he reaches 13 years, that's when he's called a son of a Konishbarhu. So these are all good reasons to say that maybe one shouldn't uh, do Tachnon on such a day. Logic says it's a big simcha, and we saw that since it's a simcha, maybe you don't have to do. Tachnun uh, um, and the entire community is exempt. And the argument is to say that this is a good minag, minag Yisrael. And there is an equation between a bar mitzvah to a chatan, etc. Okay. And then he said, Rabbi Ovadia, he writes as follows. That in the later generation, this is like a new minute. That in the last few generations, we don't do tachnon when there is a bar mitzvah. Says He says, look, over and above it being a simcha, we want to make the bar mitzvah boy feel, wow, he's putting on tefillin, there's something special. And look, it's so special that he's now become a bar mitzvah and he's putting on tefillin that the whole community is not going to say tachon. It's in order, and he uses the phrase, uh, He says, maybe by doing this, people will want to put on tefillin because they'll say, wow, this is something very, very 
important. Now, that svara, bottom line, the Rabobad Yosef says one can be lenient. The Titeliezer says, I agree with the first part of the Mishpate Uziel, that this is a new mina. I don't agree with the second part, that just because um, just because the community is not going to say tefillin, you think the bar mitzvah boy is going to get so uh, so so emotionally moved by it, and that's what's going to cause him to put on tefillin the rest of his life or not? Says the the Tzeliyazi a bit of tongue and cheek. He says, "I'm going to use the language that is the street language." He says, "Yeah, I'm going to highlight it." He says, "Oshelot shichim, mahani." What people say is. Either you don't need it, meaning even if you say Tachanon, he's still going to put on Tefillin. Or Lomahani, or it's not going to help. Even if you don't say Tachanon, he's not going to put on Tefillin. Lomahalev and Lomarid, it's not going to help. You know, whether communities don't say Tachanon or not, is not going to be the deciding factor whether kids are going to put on Tefillin or not. I seem to think that the Tzitzeliyaz has a very good point over here. But bottom line is as follows. That uh, those strules, who don't uh, do Tachnon when there's a Bar Mitzvah boy. And again, it seems to be the Bar Mitzvah has to be on that day, right? the day that he turns 13. You have who to rely on. You have Rav Ovadia, you have etc. Those who want to say Mincha, Tachnon, Tzitzeliezer, also also true. And when it comes to a uh, when it comes to a Chatan, everyone kind of today seems to agree that it's not just it's not just the day of the chuppah, it's all the days of the Sheva Brachot. There might be a distinction between if you, uh, we're talking about a widow uh, marrying a, uh, a, call it like a widower or a, a, a grusha, um, where there might only be three days. Um, but, but everyone seems to agree in today's uh, communities that it's not just the day of the uh, day of the chuppah. So that is basically. When do we say it? We say it uh, generally every day. The only time we don't say it is those four exceptions to the rule. And that is in a house of mourning, a Brit Miller. Again, the Brit Miller, we discuss whether it's only Shachrit or during Mincha or before or after the Soda. And when the Chatan on the day of his Chuppah, but also during the uh, Sheva Brachot. And just to end off, well, just regarding women, there isn't a clear... Masora regarding this. The um the Halicho Peti Batisrael says Safekimishao Mer Tachanun Venafilata Pain, Bamin Hag Sha'enomot, meaning it's a suffix whether they're obligated to or not, and therefore they don't say it. However, the Rig Shaylay, quoting Rapinchas Scheinberg, says, Tachanun Mirekadai, the Tomarna Kadesha Tikubal Tachan Trinatan Betachanun. He says he thinks it's worthy, it's praiseworthy for women to do Tachanun. Um, and if they can, they should. Not necessarily that they're obligated, but if they can, they should. So that is, again, according to the Halichot Batisrael, the Minag is for women not to. According to Pinchas they should if they can. Okay, next, uh, we have now completed Baruch Hashem, volume 11. Um, next week, what we'll do is we'll have one shir, maybe two shirim on Shemitah, and then we'll start volume 12. Please, God, we'll be going to print with volume 12 um, today or tomorrow. So they sh uh, volume 12 should be uh, ready, Bezrat Hashem, in the next uh, two weeks. So we'll keep you updated when they are available. Uh, but in the meantime, next week, 
uh, I'll put it on the screen for those who don't have the, the cipher, and we'll do one share regarding Hilchot Shemitah. Okay? Okay. Yes, so we'll get an email when the next safe is out, yeah? Say again? We'll get an email when the next safe will be out. Yeah, you'll get an email. Yeah. Lovely. Shkur. Thank Shkur. you very much, as always. Shkur. Thank you very much. Thank Shkur. you. Bye, guys. Bye.